Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today I'm joined by the one and only Stephen Heller. Stephen, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. So it's been certainly a, a remarkable career, and today we are here at SVA. So what are the, some of the things that you see in design students these days? How has it changed over the years? A lot has changed in the design field, and you've probably heard this a billion times because of technology. We've gotten to such an ex- a point in this technological evolution that we don't even talk about it anymore because the people who were at the outset of the evolution are getting older and moving on to other things. So um, in in a strange way, it's like the norms of design have taken on all the attributes that technology has offered and all the attributes that were predicted years ago so that designers or people involved in design like me of a certain generation are still kind of in awe of what's happened technologically. What we see now in terms of students is they're younger, as is natural. Um, They come into the program and they come into the workforce with a lot more technological uh, expertise than any of the older designers. And, you know, the one thing about design and illustration that is so wonderful is you can be 95 and still do it as long as all your limbs are working. Uh, But what you will find difficult is mastering the tools of the trade. So what I see are people who understand the tools in the trade and can put them to use. They, what they need more and more is both a theoretical, a philosophical, and an experiential uh, understanding of what they're doing because what they can create is so professional looking based on what I remember as a, a younger designer uh, that you can fool people. Yeah. And that isn't to put it in the negative. It's just you can do a lot more in terms of comping or proposing that looks like it's real than we were able to do before we could control those media. Right. Because I, I think that design students today, like a big thing that I see, and I know that I did for a while, was like, like you said, comping it, but then, you know, uh, finding the work of like Seymour Quas and, and seeing, and, you know, and countless other illustrators, seeing the amount of craft that was involved kind of made me feel a bit like a hack because I was, you know, just doing things in Photoshop and doing things in Illustrator. And I've kind of gone back to the drawing board. I'm becoming a bit more tactile. Do you think that because students are so quick to go to the computer and so quick to use the tools on their, in the digital space, do you think that design will suffer because of that? Or do you think that they, we need to kind of turn it back towards being more hand-drawn, more illustrative? Because I know... Well, those are absolutes. Yeah. You know, some people will master the, the technological tools so well that that just substitutes for what is vestigial. Right. Uh, it's always great to draw. I ran into a designer friend yesterday who is older than I am and was very active in AIGA and he was telling me how wonderful it is to paint and draw and 
He goes to painting and drawing classes every week. Right. Uh, so, and there are people who still love to read books from page to page rather than from screen to screen. Yeah. And there are people that still love to listen to vinyl for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really comes down to it's nice to know a lot of things and figure out ways of applying those things to contemporary uh, opportunities. Right. So when I teach history, I'm not teaching them to do the historical work. I'm teaching them to understand what went on and how perhaps they can incorporate that knowledge into their whole toolkit or, or into their whole base of experience. Right. Um, but the students that I work with really have so much more ability than I could ever have at this stage in my life that it's uh, both impressive, daunting, and uh, uh, humbling. I think in order to be a great designer, you must have an extensive knowledge of design history because it's the foundation of what constitutes great design. However, a lot of my peers don't feel they need to be aware of it, and they kind of just gloss over it, and they take the design history course, and they move on with it. If you kind of went through school and design history, you kind of just glossed over it, but now you want to get into it. You're an expert on design history more than probably anyone else in the world. What are the most important places to look when first delving into the world of design history? Because there's so much to reference from. Well, design history is whoever's writing the history. There's a lot of, you know, how how we define our history is, you know, it's, it's based on who brings what to the surface. Right. And there's the term design history, which puts people off because history is the past, but it's also a story. So I think what people should be interested in are the stories of their field. So I'm not suggesting that students start with cave paintings as Phil (laughs) Meggs does in his Yeah, how far back do I have to go? And then work their way upwards um but it's nice to know about cave paintings it's nice to know that gutenberg created movable type it's nice to know a lot of these things so that if somebody asks you the question or brings it up in conversation you have some understanding and you have that understanding about anything i mean you need to be a uh, a well-rounded literate human being but how old are you 26 26. So there are lots of things that you have yet to learn and that will be, come into your sphere of, of knowledge and vision right. and become, and you'll say, wow, that's quite amazing. Yeah. You know, you'll find that there are certain designers who were painters right. and you would never have known that they were designers. Or you'll find that certain painters <laughs> um, built upon a language of design and that will somehow thrill you or you'll find that uh, design entered into the vocabulary or into the world or into you know wherever in in ways that you had never thought of and for me learning about design history was making this connection between what I was doing in a kind of instinctive way and an ad hoc way, and then seeing how it was done by other people. I mean, I remember the first time I saw 
a drawing that was done in the 1900s, and it wasn't all that different from the way it was done in the 1960s. Right. There was something special about it, and I can't exactly explain what it was that was special, but it made me feel like I had a connection with this lineage, this continuum. Right. So design history, whether... I mean, I believe it should be taught. I believe it should be learned. I don't believe it should be just, uh, you know, a, a, a mandatory course that you take and forget. Yeah. But I also don't believe you have to learn it li linearly. And I don't believe you, have, you should force anybody to accept it. I mean, one of the things about learning about the past is that if you're young enough, you feel like the past could influ influence you adversely. Right. Yeah, I feel that way. You know, and I felt that way. I didn't really want to know who of my ancestors did what because I didn't want to have to do this. I didn't want to be influenced, right. which is one of the stupidest things I ever said in my life. And I remember I saying it. Yeah, it's it, it's natural, but I remember saying it in an essay for uh, getting into a school, into Bard, in fact, and I think uh, uh, I, w I was eliminated because of the, that phrase. <laughs> um, so now I think, you know, there's enough literature out there and there's enough people talking about history, whether it's in a practical environment or an academic environment, where it will come through osmosis. Is, is there a place where, because um, I'm trying my hardest to, to find all the archives and find the places online where things are found in museums and things like that, and, and I've gone to the, the Cooper Hewitt, the Whitney, all these different places. You're somebody who's constantly digging through the archives and you know, looking through the history books. What are what are some of the best places for young designers looking for inspiration who are looking who are ready to be influenced? What are some of the best places? Well, I mean, the best things are just to find those books, like Phil Meg's book, or uh, Johanna Drucker, or Stephen L. Eskelson, or uh, Roger Remington, Victor Margol, and there are, there are historians that have written about this stuff. Right. Uh, I mean, I find some of my most pleasurable and also uh, insightful moments are just being in bookshops yeah. and always have been and so I have a huge library um, so just stumbling across things part of it is stumbling yeah. you know there are a lot of archives now it's also getting to a period where those in my generation you know baby boomers are unloading their materials and yeah. they're going into archives but going to an archive is a tough thing to do it requires a time investment it requires finding the places that are going to be open to the individuals right. i was just at rit and their archives fantastic because it shows process and that showing process kills two birds with one stone you get to look at uh, vintage material and see how it relates or doesn't relate to the present and you see how those designers thought Right. visually and, and 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 work things out physically right. um, so I don't have a, an answer to your question other than just explore I used to teach a, cl a class called no Google yeah. and for 
15 weeks, students weren't allowed to use Google. They had to use shoe leather, basically, to research things. But it got to a point, and I still love the class because it teaches you gener basic research skills, but it got to a point where it was kind of irrelevant because Google does allow you to go places you wouldn't necessarily go if you were walking the streets. So uh, I would just say from a, you know, accumulating knowledge is something one should do as a matter of course over time. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before about, um, about influence, about not wanting to be influenced. And, you know, uh, when you were younger, you thought that way. I thought the same way. And then I just turned 26. And this past year, I've been kind of uh, looking back to my childhood and trying to uncover who I am as a person from what I've, you know, I kind of want to make sure I have everything that I've done before this so I could, so that I can move forward. And I found that a lot of the things I did as a child influenced who I became as a designer. And in a way, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fulfilling the dream now because I used to draw. My grandpa was a land surveyor and I would always draw and he actually saved everything. So I'm not sure I'm ready to, to look at that yet. I might start bowling. But uh, when you were a child, when when was the first inclination? That, when was the first time that you knew that you wanted to be an artist or be a designer or an illustrator? Well, I think all kids want to be artists when they're very young. So it really depends how far back you go. I mean, yeah. when I was eleven or twelve, I actually worked in the advertising department of Bergdorf Goodman. Oh, wow! <laughs> uh, but I didn't know what I wanted to be then. And when I was 14, I worked in uh, the advertising department of Russ Togs, which was a fashion industry, and I didn't know what I wanted to do then. I had no training, and I lasted a couple of days. The whole reason was, you know, my mother, who was in the business, got me a job. I knew I liked to draw. I knew I liked to make up stories. I knew that whatever psychological reasons I had I needed to be alone and do certain things if you really do look closely at your past you'll find those links uh, but for me the the biggest uh, revelation was the 60s and what was going on then and what I wanted to do that would both make me um, relevant and cool at the same time. Right. And so I, I started working at underground newspapers, and that kind of became a trajectory, a catapult into the world of newspaper design, graphic design, right. and it just followed a course from there. Um, you know, there are some people who start differently. I know a lot of lawyers, people who went to law school or people who went to medical school even, uh, who found that they wanted to do other things. Right. And the other things had more creative uh, uh, power for them. Yeah. So, uh, And then there are those people who go the other way. I mean, I have a very close friend who was an art director for many years who just didn't care for it any longer, went to, to uh, school to become a occupational therapist and now works with autistic children right. so our lives are in constant flux and we hopefully will change a few times over the course of our lifetimes and 
where our grandparents probably did the same thing over and over again, most of them, at least in my generation. Right. Um, we're freer now to be more mobile, in part because certain jobs are just going away because right. of the technology. For the, for the future and, and, for, and for right now, what do you think that if people are going to design school, what is the, the best way to provide value to students that can translate to like tangible real world work, like being ready to go out into the, the real world, if that makes any sense? Well, I didn't go to design school, or, or better stated, I came to SVA at a time in social history where I needed a draft deferment so I really didn't come to SVA I didn't attend classes so they asked me to leave Um, I always had a problem in a school situation even though I like to learn being in school was never my forte I think that students get a lot from being in a in an educational environment because they meet people. Uh, I mean, there's that joke in Annie Hall where she's, uh, Diane Keaton is talking to Woody who's complaining that she's going out with her professor and uh, she's saying, you were the one that told me to take these courses and I've learned things and I've met people and he, he says something about it. Well, that was before you started going out with your teacher. Um, I, th- I think that the educational experience is great if you have great teachers and if you have other terrific students with you and you can make network connections uh, and you can learn how to rethink and reprogram yourself so that you may come in with certain understanding of what design is and leave with another understanding of what design is. Um, the school is a necessary part of design edu- design practice now. It used to be you could get away without it. Right. Um, but it's more professionalized, uh, and it's... Uh, Design is a meritocracy. If you're good, you'll get a job. If you're not good, you won't get a job, or you'll get a lesser job. Uh, And because it's a meritocracy, it's a good place to be viewed in relation to other students. And it's a good place where you can meet people like Brian Collins or Lee Mashmeyer or whoever, and they will validate as well as... uh, add to your skill base so they'll teach you through criticism or through how to do something and then why you're doing it well or why you're not doing it well yeah who mentored you along the way and was there anyone that kind of went above and beyond and stands out in your mind that you kind of credit a lot to well i never really had a mentor per se i had somebody who was very important in my development, Brad Holland, an illustrator. And I met him at the right time when I was trying to put together a magazine on my own. And he had basically just come to New York City with a great deal of talent and was doing illustrations for a lot of publications. 
and he also understood design and he filled in these gaps that I didn't have because I wasn't going to school. So knowing him, understanding his philosophy about uh, making images, I mean, he was, he was an author illustrator in the sense that he authored ideas and he applied them to illustration as opposed to just putting them out into the world on their own and that made a great impression upon me. But I've met and written about and befriended lots of people who, you know, each one has something to say that sticks in my brain in one form or another. Particularly when you're writing, you quote people and you pick the quotes that seem most relevant to your audience, but they also are relevant to you as a writer. So, right. uh, you know, I, there's a long list of people, including my wife, Louise Feely, who I think is one of the most elegant and most uh, intelligent of, of all designers around. Yeah, I agree. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's a critical mass of people coming in at different times in the thought process. When, whenever I'm doing X, I think of so-and-so. Whenever right. I'm doing Y, I think of somebody else. Yeah. Um, but since I'm not really a designer anymore, there's nobody I'm looking at and saying, gee, I wish I could do it like that person. Right. You know, you mentioned your books, and uh, I know you've written a few with, with your wife, um, Louise Feely. For those of you who are not familiar with your work and are looking to to pick up one of your books, what's a good one to start with? Which ones are you most proud of? Or is that kind of like picking a favorite child? It's <laughs> Yeah, it's the cliche, picking a favorite child. I mean, there are some that, you know, I have no desire to look at again. Uh, and there are others that when I do pick them up after a year, I'm proud that I had done them. Iron Fists is one of them, branding the 20th century totalitarian state. It's For me, I think it's an important book. I think it's a relevant book, given our political times. Uh, Mares to Emigre and Beyond, about avant-garde magazine design of the 20th century, is important to me because I've always been a publication person, and uh, I, I love that. Hundred Ideas That Changed Graphic Design, I think, is important. one of my favorite important. books. I love that book. I did that with Veronique Vienne, and I'm very proud of that. Okay, so let's talk about your time at The Times. Uh, you were, for 33 years, you worked there as an art director. Um, can you tell me, you know, about the ups and downs and what that was like and, you know, how you got the job and, and what it was like, what it was like to leave? Well... I got the job because I worked for underground newspapers and there weren't many people working for newspapers at the time that were designers. So the design director and corporate art director, Lou Silverstein, saw my portfolio, which was brought in by Ruth Ansell, who was a wonderful and important art director, female art director. She was art director of the magazine section. And I was just so thrilled that she thought my work was worthy of her attention you know when somebody actually looks at your stuff and you can't you have no sense of what you're doing and they they are excited by it you get excited by it and you so uh, I was hired to my surprise 
Uh, I knew a number of the people who were already working on the op-ed page. I was amazed that I was given that job. But I ended up with the book review, and although there were a lot of editors in my tenure, I got along with most of them, and and I started developing uh, a, a signature and a reputation for bringing in illustrators. And it was, you know, the most formative part of my life. Without the New York Times, I wouldn't be here. Without the New York Times, I don't know where where I would would be. Right. And it's a very different place now. So it it's not the place that I remember. Right. It's still, I think, one of the greatest institutions on earth, and I still have friends who are there in high positions, and I'm glad I did it. I would, I have no regrets about having left. When trying to make it in a place like New York, it's very competitive. There are times where you're challenged, and you have to kind of pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and, and try it again. And what would your advice be to somebody who's a young designer who is still in the process of finding themselves, still in the process of trying to become a great designer, but yet doesn't have the chops? New York is a very competitive place. You have to be able to work the crowd, so to speak. It could be very easy in that you can make friends, and those friends and acquaintances lead you to other friends and acquaintances, or it could be very difficult and lonely. And even though I grew up only a couple of blocks away from here, uh, I was I experienced both of those things as a kid. Um, I, ex- I experienced the inability to join in and then at a certain point the ability to join in. Right. And I think um, the way to fulfill whatever it is your goal or dream might be is to persist and then actually understand what you're not good at right. and don't try to push that but push what you are good at I mean I was not a good drawer so trying to become an illustrator was not going to happen for me even though I published cartoons but I wasn't going to publish cartoons the rest of my life because I wasn't that good at it. But it got me through a few doors. Uh, I was never a great typographer, but there was a period of time when I loved doing typography, and that pushed me through a few more doors. Um, I was a fairly good art director, but I was better at picking out talent than being the talent. So it just came to a point where there were things I loved doing and I was able to look at what I did and say, this can only go so far. Um, But there are so many different ways of being a designer or an art director or whatever you want to call it. that you just have to persist and find that place. And there's no rule, there's no formula on how you do that. You know, you're doing a podcast now. Who knows what's going to happen in another three years? This podcast may become 
your broadcast career, career for a while. Right. It may turn into something totally different yeah. where you're running as a creative director a larger media operation. You never know what this is going to turn into. Right. And you're doing it, which means you're taking the chance of calling people and you know maybe one or two have said no, but most people sounds like say yes. Yeah. And you're making connections so that's what people do I always used to tell students particularly in the research classes look on the telephone book get a telephone number and call somebody cold who you want to talk to and seven out of ten times you'll probably get them yeah so it's just all just sending it it's just doing it I mean I used to send letters to everybody and I started doing that when I was a little kid, and I was fell in love with the astronauts, and I used to get letters back from the astronauts. That's so cool. Um, you know, persistence is probably the best thing. Right. And if your persistence is based, has you know some root and talent, and if that root and talent has some root and knowledge, all those things work to your advantage. Is it is it normal? And I don't want this podcast to turn into like a therapy session about me, but I'm just, you know, I think other people probably think the same thing. Is it uh, normal that um, I do not have a clear direction right now, but I'm not worried about that? Because for a while I was like, I'm, I'm going to be a graphic designer. I'm going to go, I'm going to go work at like Pentagram. I'm like, like very like narrow minded. And now that I've met so many people and I've gotten the opportunity to go there and do all these things, it's. Now more than ever, I don't know what I want to do because I've been so inspired by so many different people. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing called normal. There's something called, it happens, life. Yeah. And It's just a bit unstable. Well, stability is a nice thing, but for some, and, you know, I grew up in an environment where stability was important. And I was pretty much stable all my life. But there are lots of people who start businesses, and that's a very unstable situation. You get a client, you start a business, it may go well for a few years, you may then lose that client, and then you have an agency, and then you're not. Yeah, Yeah, so, you know, shit happens. And good things happen. And there is no normal. There's, it would be restrictive if, you stuck to the exact same plan that you had two years ago. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say just, you know, you, at a certain point you'll make certain decisions, whatever those decisions may be, and then that'll take you to the next stage. Very cool. That's so awesome. I'm going to listen to that again and again. <laughs> I'm going to be walking around New York City listening to that. Uh, just in closing, uh, just curious, I know that you're, you probably wrote three books already today. But uh, what are you working on currently, and and what are your plans for the future? Well, what I'm currently doing is I have a book coming out in the fall called The Moderns that I did with a fellow named uh, uh, Greg D'Onofrio, who, with his partner, Patricia Bellin, have some kind company. And uh, they've done websites for Alvin Lustig and Elaine Lustig-Cohen. And I recruited them both to work on a book that we all did together called The Moderns. And it's coming out 
in the fall with Abrams, and it's about mid-century modern graphic designers, 60 I'm, of them. I love that. It's awesome. And it's a long story how it came about. I won't bother you with, but um, we're trying to figure out how to get it out into the world. But I'm at the moment writing a series of books for Toshin on uh, different kinds of advertising of the 20th century, which I've done before with them for some of their volumes, but they're doing it in a different way and I'm trying to write it in a different way. Right. And there are a bunch of other books that you know I'm always working on, so yeah. uh, there's that. And the future, I don't know. Maybe I'll get that break and become a BBC actor. <laughs> That'd be good to be in the drama department. This has been a privilege and an honor, and uh, thank you so much for doing this, Steve. I greatly appreciate your time. My pleasure.